0: That's Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass our way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost.
1: Matthew chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you.
2: Now, our subject this afternoon is one that has become profoundly unfashionable. It is nonetheless a subject that was repeatedly on the lips of Jesus. At this series, it has been prompted by Jesus' teaching throughout Matthew's Gospel. I've been conducting a lengthy teaching series through Matthew's Gospel, and as we've considered Jesus' teaching in that Gospel, again and again and again, we come up against the reality of what we're talking about this afternoon, and repeatedly from the lips of Jesus. It is, incidentally, one of the benefits of teaching through books of the Bible, it means the preacher can't skip the bits that he might otherwise seek to avoid. And there are at least 30 deliberate and direct references to this issue from the lips of Jesus and countless indirect ones. The method of our series is to spend time simply in the account of Jesus' life recorded by his follower, his disciple, Matthew. And Matthew's Gospel was considered for the first 1,800 years of the church's life to be the first of the four Gospels written, and personally I hold that view myself. Matthew's Gospel contains the famous Sermon on the Mount, and unarguably the Sermon on the Mount has formed the basis of the vast majority of our shared values in the 21st century Western world. And yet here, even in the Sermon on the Mount, as we looked at last week, we found our subject, which is, as you will realize, hell. And last week, we saw from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus believes in hell. We can't remove it from the lips of Jesus. It's actually why Jesus came. We saw that hell is a real place. Yes, picture language is used to speak about hell and describe it, but hell itself is no metaphor. And then we saw that hell is a place of punishment. Jesus refers to hell and speaks of the punishment of fire. And that punishment involves isolation from the favor of God. It involves pain and dis-ease forever. Now, my aim in this series is really fivefold, and I'd like to spell that out for us. As we consider the issue of hell, so we will begin to see the majesty and supremacy of God all the more clearly. He judges, not us. He decides, not us. Our destiny is in God's hands, not ours. He is God. And then we'll see the seriousness and the significance of sin. Our rejection of God in God's world is of utmost and absolute seriousness. And then we begin to see the unfathomable depth of the love of the Lord Jesus, the length to which he's prepared to go to save us, to save you and me from hell. And then we see the plight of those who insist on rejecting Jesus. And finally, the urgency of giving ourselves, as so many of us do here at the four o'clock congregation, to the same priority of Jesus seeking to save people from eternal judgment. Well, last week, we saw that Jesus believes in hell. This week, we're going to see that people go to hell. But as we begin, someone might say this teaching is very hard. And it may well indeed sound so. And it it, it seems to be wrong that we frighten people about the reality of hell. Was Jesus right to do it? I once witnessed a house fire. We felt and believed that one of the members who lived in the house was still inside. And for about 20 minutes, until the individual concerned turned up, we stood outside this extraordinary noise and inferno, shouting to try and get them out. Well, this week we move to the third section, and my point being that, it's, of course, it's not wrong to warn something, somebody about something that is real. Uh, this week we skip over the second section of Matthew's Gospel. It's worth just turning back two pages to chapter 8, verse 12. We'll find mention of hell again in the second section, 8, verse 12. We'll take it from 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer, the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we come to the third section of Jesus' teaching, and here we find that people will go to hell. We're looking at verse twenty through 24, in particular, of chapter 11. First, Jesus will judge. Now, this much is undeniable from the verses in our reading today. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted, you will be brought down to Hades, and so forth. Notice that Jesus speaks about the day of judgment, not a day of judgment, it's a set day. He speaks words of woe, and he speaks to confirm the destiny and the final state of those who reject the rule of God. So there is a day of judgment according to Jesus, it is set. And on that day, the destiny of every single one of us in this room and all humanity will be determined for all eternity. And the language of woe speaks of utter desolation. Jesus uses the language of woe in a way that none have before him or since. Some individuals cry in the Bible, Woe to me, they recognize their current state of desolation people like Job and Isaiah. The prophets in the Old Testament speak of woe and they're acting as third parties speaking on behalf of God, pronouncing God's judgment as God's spokespeople. Jesus takes the position of the judge himself. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I was teaching in Matthew's Gospel a couple of years back Just as we came out of lockdown, I was speaking from here and at the end of the meeting on a Tuesday lunchtime, an individual stepped forward and said to me, I was speaking about judgment, oh, you teach an Old Testament message of God the judge, I believe in the New Testament message of Jesus who loves. Well, I happened to be speaking words of Jesus, actually, from Matthew's gospel, so the individual concerned had completely failed to understand Jesus or pay attention to any of Jesus' teaching. But just in case any of us might hold that same view, this is my only cross-reference outside of Matthew's gospel today. Flick forward to page 1108. 1108. Here we find one of the, well, the earliest extended sermon to a group of non-Jews in the book of Acts. Page 1108, Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Here is Peter speaking, he's speaking of Jesus, he says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Might I suggest that this is in reality a good thing, that there is a day of judgment, that you and I are not simply atomized individuals, the world is not drifting meaninglessly There is a point and purpose and direction. We are accountable. God sees, God cares, God knows, and God will judge. Jesus will judge. Secondly, Jesus will judge according to the degree of revelation each one has received. Now, from the verses back in Matthew chapter 11, you can see that Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the towns of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. These are the towns and cities of Galilee in northern Israel where Jesus performed the vast majority of his miracles. And his point is that these cities have been extraordinarily privileged. We're in the third section of Matthew's gospel. In the first section, Jesus did... Many remarkable signs and wonders indicating that he is God's king. And he taught the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was taught in Galilee, precisely the place where Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida exist. In the second section of Matthew's gospel, Jesus healed the leper. This happened just outside Capernaum. Jesus healed the centurion's servant. This happened in Capernaum. Jesus healed the mother, Peter's mother-in-law. This happened in Capernaum. He healed multiple individuals. They, were, they brought to him all who were sick. This happened in Capernaum. Jesus calmed the storm. This happened just across the sea for outside of Capernaum. He drove out two demon men who were terrorizing the entire region on the other side of the banks to Capernaum. He healed a paralytic who was let down through the roof. That happened in Capernaum. He healed a woman who'd spent a lifetime with the most desperate gynecological condition, and he raised the synagogue ruler of Capernaum's daughter from the dead, even as he healed two blind men and gave speech back to a man who had been dumb. They brought people from the whole of the city, emptying the hospitals to Jesus. And so when Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus doesn't come with immediate pronouncement of judgment. He doesn't pronounce judgment without prior opportunity. He offers the possibility of forgiveness. But Jesus judges according to the level of revelation and privilege to which you and I have been exposed. Do you see it? If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Capernaum, will you be exalted? You'll be brought down. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And so the people of Old Testament Sodom and Tyre and Sidon had limited exposure to God's revelation. The people of Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, had had much. Jesus judges according to the level of opportunity of revelation that a person has had. And so it's worth pausing for just a moment and asking ourselves just what opportunity we have had in our day. We live in the West. Vast numbers of us in this building will have had Christian parents or godparents Many a Christian aunt or a godmother. We live in a country seeped in the teaching of Jesus. Our literature and laws and high culture and street culture all bear marks of the teaching of Christ. Increasingly in this nation, we're living alongside people who have chosen to come into this nation from beyond the nation who know Jesus Christ. We have been to schools where there has been some measure of Christian exposure. There are churches on every corner. We have the Bible in our own language and the internet. And just a click, we can listen to a sermon explaining the teaching of Jesus. Jesus will judge according to the degree of revelation that each one has received. Jesus will judge. He will judge according to the degree of revelation. Third, given the level of revelation each has received, Jesus knows how each would have responded had they received more revelation. Let me say that again. It's an extraordinary point. It's very striking. Given the level of revelation a person has received, Jesus knows how that person would have responded had they received more revelation. Let's look at verse 21 again. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 23. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Now, you may never have heard of Tyre and Sidon, They were trading ports off the coast of modern-day Lebanon, just north of Israel. Tyre was an island city with the deepest of harbours. I always think she was rather like modern-day Singapore. Fly into Singapore, and there are the boats, one after the other, stacked up, waiting to come into the harbour. Singapore, that centre of education and financial uh, uh, financial centre, and of high culture for the entire region of that past of the East Asia. That's Tyre, that's Sidon. Sodom was a city notorious for, its, notorious for its utter depravity. In Sodom, one of the most grotesque crimes in all of the Bible story was attempted. Visit Sodom, fail to lock yourself in at night. Not just burglary would take pace. To repent is to turn around. It's to turn to God and surrender. It's to recognize God for who he is and to kneel before him. And you see what Jesus says. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Sodom would have remained until this day. In other words, Jesus knows and Jesus sees and Jesus cares, and Jesus can see so deep into our soul with every spiritual decision we take that he can tell how we would have responded given the response we've made to the particular revelation we've been given. It's extraordinary, isn't it? To that extent, final judgment day and its judgment is in effect a confirmation, a rubber stamp on all the spiritual decisions we've taken on the level of revelation that we have been given And I think this answers the false assurance that so many, especially it seems here in the city, appear to have about Judgment Day. You know, the city worker seems to think, well, when it comes to Judgment Day, I'll be able to bluff my way in or possibly to bribe my way in or blag my way in with God. No, Jesus can see how we would have responded had we been given more revelation. And judgment then is taken on the revelation that we have been given and the response which we have made. This makes what is going on here at four o'clock on the afternoon of Sunday, the 14th, I think it is, is it the 14th of January 2024, of acute eternal relevance... We come to a carol service, we're brought by a colleague. They were a Christian. We were offered an opportunity to respond to Jesus. We determined that we won't bother responding. Jesus judges according to the level of revelation. And he can see how we would have responded had we been given more. We had a friend at university. She was a Christian. She sought to share the Christian message with us, offered to read the Bible with us. We refused. Jesus judges on the level of revelation, and he knows how we would have responded had we received more. So Jesus judges. He judges according to the level of revelation. He can see how each would have responded, had it been given more or less revelation. Fourth, there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Did you notice that? Verse 22, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Verse 24, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus knows precisely the opportunities each has had. He knows what advantages and disadvantages each has experienced. And the person who has known little by way of nurture or who has come from a circumstance of great spiritual deprivation will receive a different level of punishment and judgment to the one who has had great opportunity and has squandered it. Again, this should give give us great pause for thought. Consider what we have heard just this afternoon. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What opportunity we've had. What responsibility we hold. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Think of the privileges. And those of you young ones who come from a Christian home where you've been taught the Christian gospel week after week after week after week, Think of that weighty responsibility and the level of accountability that we have. Hell is isolation from the goodness of God. God is not absent from hell. He is present over hell. Hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Hell will be fair. The punishment will fit the crime. There will be no need for second opinions, no court of appeal, no cause for a sentence review. Jesus sees he will judge perfectly. And then the last point, all of this I think is very fresh to me. The last point, whatever justice any might or might not have experienced here on this earth, there is a final judgment yet to come. And you can see that, can't you, from verse 23 and again from, sorry, from verse 22 and again from verse 24. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. But hang on, Tyre and Sidon have already been judged. You go back to Ezekiel chapter 28 and read of the judgment of Tyre and Sidon. They are described as being dragged out to sea by God and sunk to the bottom of the sea because their failure to respond to God's goodness. Read about Sodom, the fire and the brimstone that rains down from the heavens upon Sodom, and yet the judgment of Tyre and Sidon and of Sodom is simply a foretaste of the judgment that is to come. Whatever judgment Each may or may not have experienced whatever justice we may or may not have experienced in this creation. On the day of judgment, there is a far greater judgment and sentence yet to come. And in a sense, that is deeply reassuring, isn't it? Where we have not experienced justice. I mean, think of the whole post office thing which we're watching on our tellies in in, in that uh, documentary film and that we're seeing played out and the lack of justice. There's a judgment to come. And whatever justice, think of Hillsborough. There's a judgment to come. And we may feel, well, actually, I've escaped judgment. There's a judgment to come. Be sure of that. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for those who've had opportunity to hear of Jesus, to see Jesus, to be ribbed the Bible with, to respond to Jesus, to repent, to turn, and is determined for one reason or another not to. Conclusion. What have Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum done wrong? Well, I think verse 16, 17, 18, and 19 make that very clear for us. Uh, Jesus, of course, has done all these miracles. What shall I compare this generation to? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played for the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. John came neither eating nor drinking. They say, well, he's got a demon. And so the Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, look, he's a glutton. And drunkard and friend of tax collectors and sinners. Wisdom is is proved right by Hadith. You've got to picture these two groups of children in the marketplace or in the school playground. They're playing grown-ups. One group really wants to play. Come out to play. We're gonna play weddings. So we're playing the flute. No, 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 we don't want to play weddings, we're gonna play funerals. Okay, we'll change the tune. And they start playing a dirge, a mournful song, come out and play funerals. No, 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 we want to play weddings. They're just utterly contrary. And this sums up the people of Capernaum, Bethsaida and Chorazin and so many of our culture here in the West. Oh, I'll show you this bit of evidence about Jesus. No, 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 I'm not interested. I want to know about that. So I'll show you that bit of evidence about Jesus. No, 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 i do not interested. I want to know, hear about that. Oh, so I'll show you that piece of evidence. No, 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 I'll show you that. Oh, what about suffering? Oh, yeah, yeah, what about the, 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 the creation and Genesis? Oh, no, 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 but what about, what about, what about? In other words, they're not prepared to take the evidence seriously. They're contrary. They're not going to respond. They won't repent. They hold Jesus' at arm's length. And wisdom is justified by her deeds, i.e. the evidence is all there. And so in the light of such squandered opportunity, woe to you. People, real people, men and women and teenagers like us gathered here today. And legion of our friends and colleagues and family. People go to hell. Jesus will judge. He will judge each one according to the revelation they've been given. There will be degrees of punishment in hell. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Jesus follows this teaching immediately with this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. We thank you, our Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners. We're very conscious, each of us, of our own failure in dealing rightly with the revelation you've given us. We pray that you would have mercy on us in Jesus' name. Amen.